As we started this last Sunday, we talked about the happy family, the blessed family, and we saw the Bible doesn't necessarily define happiness according to our definition. It defines it according to God's word, and what it means to be happy in the Lord is to fear Him and to walk in His ways, to keep Him at the center of everything we think and say and do, because that is exactly where He deserves to be, and it is exactly where He is, even when we don't recognize it or submit to His will. God is at the center of everything in our world, and so we want to see his way and to walk in his way. That's what it means for us to be the happy family. And so as we kind of continue this morning, we're taking this series over the next few weeks, and we're going to see lots of different perspectives on the family. But this morning, we want to look at it from the perspective of our collective family, our church family. And we see this morning that church is family. And I think we know that. We know that is true. We use those words, church family, We talk about our brothers and sisters at church. We use the language of family to talk about church, but I'm not convinced that we always fully grasp the extent to which that's true and that it should shape everything that we do. Because when we say that church is family, I think that we kind of tend to maybe subconsciously in the back of our minds add a couple more words to that phrase. And so we say church is family, but maybe we hear something more like church is family like a family, which is a big difference. I would describe it to you in this way this morning as the difference between ice cream and frozen yogurt or whatever substitute you want to put in place of the real thing. Frozen yogurt is not ice cream. It's like it in some ways, right? Both are cold and they taste sweet, but they're not the same thing. So if you say to me, do you want some ice cream? And then you bring me a bowl of frozen yogurt, then We're going to have a conversation about that. Those are not the same thing. What I'm saying this morning is I think that's how we maybe treat our church family. We treat it like it's the frozen yogurt instead of like it's the real deal. We use the language of family, but we also use other languages. We talk about church, like the language of our consumeristic culture. So we shop for churches. We compare the offerings of one church to another, and then we decide which one is best for me. We show up for worship when other priorities don't crowd it out in our schedules. When one church isn't meeting our needs, we move on to the next. And I'm not saying there's never a time to move from one church to another. As with any family, there is a time to put healthy boundaries in place. What I'm saying is that if we're searching for the perfect church family, we're not going to find it in this life. And as you may have heard it said, if you find that perfect church, then don't join it because why? You're going to ruin it. Church isn't like family, church is family. And our understanding and living in that reality is critical to the biblical vision of the happy family. And we see that in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. We started this week planning to look specifically at Ephesians chapter 2, at God talking about the household of faith and him calling us together into a church family. Um, But as we started to see the picture unfold that God was showing us here in Ephesians, we're actually going to attempt this morning to cover the whole book in one sermon. And so hang on for that this morning. We're going to jump right in at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll cover uh, these six chapters in the next 20 minutes or so. And so Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, 
grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This letter opens with family language. Paul writes to the saints in Ephesus in grace and peace from God our Father. It's clear from the beginning that church is family, and to be more specific, that it is God's family. And so this morning, we're going to look at three defining factors of God's family and then four marks of life in God's family. So first, those three defining factors. The first one is this, that family is defined by God's adoption. God's family is defined by God's adoption. We pick it up in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. What we see unfolding here is that God isn't our father in this generic like we are the world, we are the children way of viewing the world. And he isn't our father in the sense that we're saving our own lives. God's our father because of what he has done to save us in Christ. It's in Jesus that he chose us to stand holy and blameless before him. And it's in love that we've been adopted by God the Father as sons through Jesus Christ, Paul says. And it's all his will. It's all according to his grace. This is how God has blessed us in the beloved. That is through the our faith in Jesus, by which we are united with him, God's beloved son with whom he is well pleased. He's adopted us in Christ and he's given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance, as a seal of our family relationship. Our adoption into the family of God, it means a new identity for us, but also means a new family and a new future for us. And it points us to the perfect fatherhood of God that we sang about a few minutes ago. There are some in our Midst this morning, no doubt, who would object to calling God Father or who might have at one point because you've experienced a father who couldn't have been farther from perfect. But God is not like a father. He is a father. In fact, he is the father by which all fatherhood is defined. And so your father might have left, but God never leaves his people alone. Your father might have hurt you, but God works all things together for your good. Our family is defined by God's adoption, by the fatherhood of God who cares for, provides for, and protects us perfectly. And that changes everything. So family is defined by God's adoption. The family, second, we see is defined by God's household. We're saved by grace through faith and not our own works. We who were once far off, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ who died so that we can have peace with God. Pick it up here in chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 18. Paul writes, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Through our adoption into God's family, we have the same Father, the same Spirit. He's made us 
fellow members of the household of God. And in Christ, it says we're being joined together to grow into a dwelling place for God. In Christ, the house of the Lord points not to an architectural structure where we each walk into the family of God, the household of God, and then we have our own private room, but we go into this community of faith, Paul says. In Christ, we belong to a household. That means we're brought into God's family to live out our salvation together, not in isolation. It means we belong to God and that we belong with one another, which is what we long for because it's how we were designed. That's why everybody, even those who are not seeking God, everybody is seeking a place to belong. We see it across our society. People find that place of belonging in teams or in gangs or social media is filled with people seeking the approval of others. Even political parties have become as much about the group themselves as they are about any particular idea. So it's just about belonging. It's just about belonging to a group. We all want that so desperately because we're designed for the security of community and a place to belong, which is what God has provided for us in the church. It's a community formed by the grace of God and built around Jesus, the cornerstone. This family isn't going anywhere. It's not about what I've done. It's not built by me and my works, but it's what Jesus has done and his grace toward us. So it's a place we can belong here and now and for all of eternity. It's a place where we experience the family of God together. So we're defined by God's household. And then third, the family is defined by God's love. What is it that makes the family God has formed in Christ better than every other place we might try to find that sense of belonging? Others are built upon maybe our shared affinities or affections or our similarities, but this family is rooted in something deeper and wider and more lasting. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, Paul prays these words, "'For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being.'" So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's prayer revolves around this one unifying reality, the love of God revealed in Christ Jesus. He prays for the church at Ephesus, what we should pray for ourselves and the church families around us today, that our faith would be strengthened by the Spirit because we are rooted and grounded in love and have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of that love. That's the prayer that flows from this family-forming salvation we've received in Jesus. It's a prayer that we that they would be able to understand the extent of God's love toward us. And then verse 19, it says that we would know the love of Christ. Know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, which is admittedly an impossibility apart from the prayerful work of the Spirit in our lives. The church is a family that is formed by and defined by and strengthened by the love of God. It is the essential and unifying reality of the church not doctrinal purity or theological precision or cultural sameness, but love that surpasses knowledge, the love of him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. 
The church isn't like a family. Church is family. A family defined by God's adoption, God's household, and God's love. These defining factors mean that the church isn't a reflection that points us to our biological families, but the other way around. Like everything in God's creation, our families, our homes are intended to draw our attention to the glory of God. And the same is true in our church family. And so those defining factors mean that life in the family looks differently than life outside the family, or at least that it should. That's what Paul says here, beginning in chapter four. He writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, because of who we are in Christ, these first three chapters we've looked at in the book of Ephesians, because of all that, Paul says, if that's all true, then act like it. Life in the family bears certain marks, and we see four of those here that we're going to look at this morning. First, life in the family is marked by mutual responsibility. We looked at Ephesians 4 a few weeks back as we were talking about our discipleship and how we are one in the Lord, united by the Spirit, in one body, many parts with different gifts for ministry, but together we grow up into maturity in Christ to be more like Jesus. And so instead of being tossed back and forth with the winds and the waves, there's a steadfastness that comes with life in the family. There's a security that comes in having a community around us. And Ephesians 4, 15, and 16 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The body grows not through one part working properly or just a few, but when each part is working properly, that's when the body of Christ, our church family, grows and matures to be more like Jesus, to more fully reflect the love of Jesus toward us and those outside these walls. What I'm saying is that the growth and maturation of our church family is not, this morning, the job of somebody else. It's not someone else's responsibility, at least not fully. There is a mutual shared responsibility that belongs to each of us who are a member of the family. Pastor Dottie Lewis writes about the difference in an orphanage and a family. He says this to to churches and about churches. He says, operate as a family, not an orphanage. An orphanage is home to undernourished children and overworked caregivers. The kids do not share responsibility. Instead, the caregivers are responsible for the needs of everyone. On the contrary, in a family, every member contributes. A family is driven by responsibility. Family is a community that is responsible for one another and should be characterized by love and the fruit of the Spirit. Life in the family is marked by mutual responsibility. My brother's weakness is my concern, and my sister's struggle is my concern, and my weakness, my struggle is your concern because we are family, loved by Christ and being built up in love. So church isn't just a place we go to or an event we attend, but a family to which we belong. It's not a place where others cater to my needs, but a place where we share responsibility, serving and working side by side. Life in the family is marked 
by mutual responsibility. Second, life in the family is marked by family resemblance. Ephesians 5 begins this way. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I always find it interesting. This might get me in trouble this morning, but I always find it interesting when a new baby is born, like a newborn, and like the day one, everybody starts trying to figure out and arguing over exactly who that child looks like. Right? If it looks like the, the mother or the father or the grandparents or whatever the case may be, that's probably just me, though. What I'll say is I think that that family resemblance usually grows over time, and so it might be harder to spot between the resemblance between an infant and a 50-year-old, but as that child matures into adulthood, it becomes clear in personality and mannerisms and voice and appearance in all these ways that there is a family resemblance, right? As those progressive insurance commercials point out humorously, right? Nobody can keep you from becoming your parents. Family resemblance is natural. It's the way of family relationships work, especially parent-child relationships. So much of what we learn is simply from watching our parents or watching our brothers and sisters and imitating what they do. We know that in our physical families, but it's far more true in this spiritual family. How do we know how to love one another? We look at how Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Chapter 4 ends and chapter 5 continues with this description of the resemblance that we should bear to God the Father and God the Son. Our old self is put away and the new self is created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And so we speak truth to one another. We're slow to anger and quick to forgive. We work hard. We speak words that build up. We're kind and tenderhearted toward one another just as God is toward us. Sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness are not the way of those who inherit the kingdom of God, even if they are the way of the world. Our walking as children of light reveals the disobedience and darkness both within us and around us. So life in the family, it should be marked by a family resemblance. In love and truth and holiness, our collective lifestyle should reflect the life of our God. Life in the family is marked by family resemblance. Third, life in the family is marked by encouragement and accountability. When we imitate God, we don't just find ourselves living out a personal relationship with Jesus, but walking together in encouragement and accountability. Paul describes walking as those who are wise, knowing the Lord's will and living it out. He says, not getting drunk with wine, but being filled with the Spirit and seeing what that looks like in Ephesians 5, beginning of verse 19. He says, it's addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We need the encouragement and accountability of brothers and sisters in the faith. And that's what we're doing when we gather together on Sunday mornings. It's what we're doing when we sing to the Lord with our hearts. We're saying to God, you are worthy of our praise and glory, all praise and glory. You're worthy of our lives but we're also saying something to one another. We're saying that God is worthy of all praise and glory, and he is worthy of our lives. And so congregational singing is not a concert. It's singing us together, singing the good news that Jesus is Lord and that he has saved us from our sins. But as we think about encouragement and accountability, we know life isn't a musical as much fun as 
I think that would be, and as much of a nightmare as that sounds like to some of you, life's not like that, but we still have so many ways that we encourage one another, that we hold one another accountable. accountable. It could be a card or a text, a call, a meal, a conversation, a grateful comment, a listening ear. Life in the family is marked by encouragement and accountability, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is a willingness in the family of God to know one another and to be known by one another. There's a desire to bear a striking resemblance to God our Father and to help one another grow to be more like Christ. For a long time, as I heard the word accountability in church circles, I heard it as some kind of trap. The way I heard it used sounded like somebody was just trying to catch you messing up and doing something wrong so they could call you out. And who doesn't want that, right? That's not what family is about, though. Accountability isn't about embarrassing someone or shaming one another. It's about speaking the truth in love. It's not about pushing people away or smacking people down. It's about calling one another to walk in the wisdom of the Lord. It's us saying to a brother or sister with humility and grace, I'm concerned about what I'm seeing. And us being open to hear the same thing from a trusted brother or sister because we know the destruction sin leaves in its wake. The family is a place of encouragement and accountability. And fourth, life in the family is marked by us fighting for each other. Fighting for each other. Encouragement and accountability, that's in some ways about us doing that, about us fighting for one another. It's us speaking to one another. But our communication with one another isn't the only place that we are called to to fight for each other. Beginning in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul points us to the true nature of the fight that we face as a spiritual family. He writes in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. As much as it sounds strange to our modern ears, we exist in a very real spiritual war, and we need the whole armor of God to stand against the schemes of the devil. One of those schemes is that we would believe and live as if there is no war at all, that we would be complacent and apathetic is going with the flow. Another of those schemes is that we would see our unbelieving neighbor or friend or coworker or leader as our enemy, as our opposition. And yet another is that we would see our brother or sister with whom we disagree as the enemy, that we would spend our time and our energy fighting against one another instead of fighting for one another, that we would accept the devil's terms of engagement instead of fighting back as God equips us to fight. And he tells us how he equips us, continues in verse 13. He says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, to able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take 
the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. How do we fight for one another? We outfit ourselves in the armor of God, in the truth, righteousness, and peace of the gospel with faith, salvation, and the word of God. And we fight not by taking down those with whom we disagree with our sarcasm or biting words. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood, and so our weapons aren't intended to wound others around us. We fight our battles in prayer, persistent in prayer, in the spirit, persevering in our prayer for one another, the family that we are a part of. This church family, this spiritual family wasn't formed by anything we did, but by what God has done for us in Christ. He's the one who is building his church. And so it won't be sustained apart from the Spirit's work in and through us. Yes, we are at war, but not with one another, but for one another. So the question is, will we fight for one another? Will we be alert? We persevere, persevere will we pray for our family? Mutual responsibility, family resemblance, encouragement, accountability, fighting for each other. These are the marks of family that is defined by God's adoption, household, and love. Church is family. A recent Gallup survey showed that for the first time in 80 years that they've been doing this survey, membership in America's houses of worship has fallen below 50% of the population. That was a number that hovered around 70% until the turn of the century and now over the past 20 years has fallen sharply. Corresponding to that is a sharp increase in those who were surveyed who would say that their religious affiliation is none at all. Those statistics raise a lot of questions that we could consider and discuss that we could talk about as a church family for hours and days and in the months and weeks to come. But what's clear is that some of those with no religious affiliation today are those who once identified as followers of Christ, as evangelical, as Baptists. And so why is it so important that we understand the nature of this family and that we bear the marks of God's family? It's important because for those who are leaving the church, we need to be confident that they are making that decision not because of what they see or don't see in us. Are they making that decision that they don't believe what we say we believe? Are they making that decision? Right, saying, I don't believe that anymore. I'm just walking away from that. Or are they looking at us and saying, I don't even think they believe what they say they believe? Right, do our actions, does our life, Do our bonds as a family, does our church family, does it reflect and embody the good news of God's grace, the gospel of adoption in Christ? Is that what people see in us? If we're going to bear the marks of God's family, what do we need to do in the days ahead? What do we need to do today? So we look back at those four marks of God's family, we see ways that we can take steps toward each of those, I think, beginning right now. The first is that it's time to commit to the family. Commit to the family. A family is marked by mutual responsibility, and that begins with us making a commitment. For some of you, that 
means making it official. You want to be a member of Valley Creek Baptist Church. Church membership isn't just this religious hoop that we jump through. It's a significant step toward mutual responsibility. It's us saying to one another, we're in this together. We are family. And so if you need to take that step, then we want to begin that conversation with you today as we move into our time of invitation here in just a few moments. But I also want to invite you to our Next Steps class coming up where you can hear more about who we are as a church family and get a clearer vision of your next step. Those are coming up, uh, one here on Sunday, May 16th, and then another at Springfield Road on Sunday, May 23rd. You can contact me about that or go to our website for more information on those because we know that as we think about our next steps, for some, that's church membership. For other, that's following the Lord in baptism and taking that step of commitment and identification with Christ. For others, you're a member of this church family, but if you're being honest this morning, you would say it hasn't been a place of mutual responsibility because you walk in for worship and then you walk back out. But today it's time for you to take a step of responsibility as a member of the family. It's time to get involved and to start serving and to use the gifts that God has given you to build up and encourage those around you. So we commit to the family this morning. Second, the call is to seek to be like your father, to seek to be like your father. A family is marked by a family resemblance. And for us, that means our lives should be growing in resemblance to the God of the Bible. That means that where there's sin in our lives, whether it's our attitude or our words, dishonesty or sexual immorality, materialism or self-centeredness, God calls us to confess that sin and to turn from it. And when we turn from sin, there's only one place for us to turn, and that is to Jesus. And when we look to Jesus and we follow after him, we become more like him. And so seeking to be like your father prompts us to ask where we're looking, prompts us to ask what it is that we want more than anything in this world. Do we want the approval of people or the approval of God? Do we want the riches of this world or the riches of his grace? Because how we answer that question, not just what we would say or put down on paper if we were taking some kind of quiz or test, not just our words, but our actions sends a powerful message to those around us about what we truly believe and what we value most in our lives. So we seek to be like our heavenly father. And third, we support the family with encouragement. A family is there for one another. And nowhere is that more true than with our heavenly father. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He has prepared a place for us to dwell with him forever. And being a part of that family means that we look for ways to encourage one another. Families aren't perfect, but it doesn't stop us from loving each other. Right? Families aren't perfect, but it doesn't stop us from showing up for each other. It doesn't mean we go looking for a new one. When things are going well, we celebrate and we give thanks together. And when things are going poorly or when things don't seem to be going at all, we bear one another's burdens. We encourage one another to endure in the faith, to look to Jesus, even as we help one another see that the love of brothers and sisters is pointing us to a greater love that God has already shown us in Christ. So send a text today, make a call, write a note, 
give a gift, offer a meal. The possibilities are endless, but support one another, be there for one another, encourage one another. And then finally today, it's a call to fight for the family. Fight for the family. Pray. Families fight for each other. We fight for the unity of the family, and we are in the middle of a war. And so we should pray. We should pray like your life and the faithfulness of our church family, the endurance of our brothers and sisters in Christ depends upon it. Because it does. When Jesus gave us our mission to make disciples, he promised his presence and his spirit. Because there are forces at work around us that we are not sufficient to overcome in our own strength and our own power. Jesus warned us of coming trouble, though, but he told us to take heart because he has overcome the world. And so the good news is that the church won't succeed or fail because of my inability or my weakness, my inability to overcome the spiritual forces we face. The church will move forward. The gospel will be proclaimed. People will be saved. Brothers and sisters will be added to and adopted into this family because God has already overcome every enemy we face in Christ. And so he calls us to walk in this family with him. He calls us to proclaim the gospel and to walk in love, to fight for unity, and to do it all in a posture of prayer because we've received the spirit of adoption. And so we cry out to the Lord. We cry out, Abba, Father. We tell him that we need him. We tell him how our brothers and sisters need him because we do. And so let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, today, we are thankful that we are a part of your family or that we can be a part of your family today, God, because of what Jesus has done for us, because we have been brought near through the blood of Jesus, so that through faith and by your grace, we have been adopted as sons, as daughters, and that we have been formed into a family. Lord, a family that is defined by your love and that is shaped in every way by who you are and by who you've called us to be, Lord. And so we pray today, confessing our, our need for you, Lord, confessing that we fall short of what it looks like to be a, a brother or sister to one another, Lord, at times, but also confessing that you are a good, good father who is perfect in all of your ways. We thank you for placing us here as part of this family. We thank you, Lord, for the gifts that you've given each of us who have followed you and each of us who have received your spirit, Lord. Gifts that are given so that we might encourage and build one another up and grow up in every way into the image of Christ, that we would grow in love toward one another. God, we pray that you would help us today to take whatever step of commitment we need to take, whether that would be church membership or baptism, God, or whether that would be saying yes 
to that place of service that you have been calling us to. God, we pray that you would help us to take that step of responsibility and commitment today. And then, Lord, we pray that you would help us to to walk in holiness and in, in love in a way that reflects the love of Christ. Lord, in a way that reflects the holiness of our God, Lord, help us to be a a family that is there for one another, that encourages one another, that holds one another accountable, Lord, speaking the truth always in love and in grace to one another, Lord. And may today, Lord, we be a family, God, that that is marked by our continual and fervent prayer that are are seeking your face in prayer and your will for this family, Lord, your will for our lives, your strength to stand against the enemy's schemes, Lord, your strength to Proclaim the gospel with boldness, Lord. We pray that you would grant that to us today. But also, Lord, that you would just help us to to walk every day in in that armor that you have given us, Lord. And to walk every day in prayerful dependence upon you, Lord. Not seeking here to accomplish what we can accomplish, God. Lord, but that we would see done here in this place. And as a result of this family's faithfulness, God, we pray that we would see things that can only be explained by the power of your spirit, Lord. Lives changed, Lord. People adopted into your family, people who were walking in darkness now, walking in light, God, we pray that it would be so as we walk in faithfulness and as we proclaim your love. We pray that you would help us this morning to respond obediently to your call. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.